Yeah, thanks. Um, Paul and Will both individually come up and pray for me. And uh, I feel more with this particular passage, which is in Hebrews. If you'd like to turn to the book of Hebrews in your Bibles, we're now going to look at chapter 2, having had two good preaches on the first chapter. Um, one by Neil setting out the fact that Jesus' name is above every name. He's preeminent. The Son is preeminent in everything. And then Ben talking about the fact that Jesus is greater than angels, which sounds a bit strange to us. And Will and um, Paul individually come up and pray to me and to be filled with the Spirit. And I so much feel the weight of that that I don't want to. I don't want to speak great things from John Fever. The only person that would benefit then is me temporarily, and certainly not long term. I want you to hear God. I really do. I want you to be changed. It says that the word of God is living and active. It's God-breathed, and it ought to change us. When we hear um, preaching, it ought to change us. It ought to benefit us. We ought to go from this place, having heard it, thinking, I understand a little more about what God did for me. I feel the Spirit working in me a little more. Whether we be Christians or not, that ought to happen. Um, and one of the things, when, when Ben was talking last week, one of the things that we realized is that Hebrews has to be taken in context. When Ben was talking about the worship of angels, it's something we probably don't relate to. Although some might, having seen some of the New Age shops that are recently opened. If you ever, ever walked along the high street and you find yourself looking into a, a window that's brightly colored and you think, that's interesting. That's weird. That's freaky. And suddenly you realize that it's a shop that's based not on the trinkets that it's selling, which are just trinkets, but on a spirituality. There's something in the human heart that cries out, a spiritual part of us that cries out for something more than just the temporal, the temporary, the fleshly, the, um, the things of flesh and blood. It cries out for something more. In the Jewish thinking of the time, there was... a, a, a I have to say, a reverence of angels because they were the messengers of God. Now, angel means messenger. It seems to be, in researching this a bit, that the understanding was that God spoke to his people through angels. It's possible, and I haven't been able to check this out, that they thought he only spoke through angels. They spoke through prophets, but there seems to be some um, question about whether the Jews of the time felt that the prophets were given the message from God via angels, messengers, and then they... Um, presented it to the people. Sometimes angels came directly to people, as in um, the obvious one that we know of with Mary. There are various other things like the Jews of, uh, uh, who didn't believe in Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, would have known about Gideon's experience with angels. And so there was an understanding that they were mighty beings, that they were God sent, therefore there seemed to be right to reverence them. The writer. Um, to the Hebrews was laying out a foundation of why Jesus was the only way, why he was preeminent in all things. So um, he's addressing them um, in a particular time, in a particular place, and as we see, if we read through chapter 2, he explores the place where they're at. And uh, 
We just read from the last verse of chapter 1. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. That's those of us who are being saved. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. And in Young's literal translation, it says glide away from it. It's like a very gentle, little by little, gliding away from the truth. Um, And we're going to look at what that truth is a little more through this chapter. But there was an understanding here that the people that the writer to the Hebrews was writing to, the Hebrews, whoever they were, were people who had come to know that Jesus Christ was the only way to be made right with the Father, the only way to be saved from the effects of their sins and their sins themselves. And they got a bit tired of it, if you like. They, they, they lost the power of it. There was a danger of them slipping away from that back to observance of the law. You probably, got, you probably find this a, a familiar thought. If Jesus died for me, that's great, that's fantastic. It must be better... If I have Jesus as my Lord and I also do some stuff myself, because that's doubly good, isn't it? So I please God by what I do, I also have Jesus as my Saviour. That's got to be better than just having Jesus as my Saviour. The next step is Jesus is only a man. Better I put more energy into pleasing God by what I do. And try harder in case I've got it wrong about Jesus. And he's not the only way to salvation. And gradually, 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 we glide away from the truth that Jesus and his death and resurrection is the only way to God. This bald fact, unexplained at the moment, is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. It's God sent his son to die for us, to pay the penalty of our wrongdoing so that we could enter into the place where God is and stand before him and not suffer guilt. Let's read on. It's talking now about the law, um, verse 2. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law... Every act of obedience was punished. Yes, they say, that's right. The law given to Moses, um, given through angels, it says. Now, that's a tradition. It's not actually listed in the, um, the Deuteronomy reference. You can't find, actually, that the law was given through angels by, in our translations. It, but it's a tradition of the Jews that that's what happened. There are various oblique references about um, a myriad host and fire. Um, and that's some translations that seems to be beings of fire. And the Jews would have related that to angels. But at that time, we read the Bible and we say, yeah, but God spoke to Moses. It was direct. But the writer, whoever it was of the Hebrews to those people, is is aligning himself with their thoughts, saying, I understand. You say the law was given through angels. Now, the law was given to the people as a possibility of salvation. If you keep the law... You will be perfect. The problem was no one ever has been able to keep the law. And, uh, you know, if you transgress on one point of the law, you're guilty of it all, as it says. So they were confounded. 
So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation, that's the salvation of Jesus, his sacrifice, that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. Um, this, uh, as Neil said, this was probably written um, between 60 and 70 AD. That's, in my, by my calculations, only about 30 years or less after Jesus was crucified. I can still remember things that happened 30 years ago, even though I am now of very great age. <laughs> Today is my birthday. It's my birthday. Um, I'm now as old as Yoda, which is 640 years. <laughs> but I can still remember things clearly that happened 30 years ago. So um, it it's becomes evident through the book that the writer to the Hebrews um, had a clear memory of either Jesus speaking or more likely people telling him about what Jesus had said because they had heard it firsthand. Then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. So they were, they were in contact with people who had heard Jesus speak at that time. So it's very direct. It's said that um, the venerable Bede, who lived in this country in, in the 700s, um, was a very accurate historian because he never wrote down anything that he heard more than once removed from the actual event. So he would interview people who had seen the event. He wouldn't take um, as uh, truth things that were more than one removed. So he spoke to people who had seen the event or he saw the event himself and then wrote it down. If anything else, he wouldn't state as fact. So on this basis, this is quite clear. And then, if that weren't enough... God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit wherever he chose. I love that. That's God with us. That's God not content to sit in heaven and just send a messenger. That's God. That's God coming to live inside us. That's God working through us. And you know, when I grew up, this was seen as an ended part of history. We were taught that the miracles and uh, God's demonstrations of power were for the setting up of the church and they had ceased because we didn't see it. Do you know what though? When I read the scripture, something awoke inside me, which I couldn't put to bed. And it was this great, no! There is that that comes in us, isn't there? Sometimes we hear something that's untrue and there's this, no! I can't believe that. If the Bible is true, I can't believe that that is true. I remember going to my pastor, who was a man that I greatly respected, someone who I knew loved Jesus with all his heart. And I said, what does this mean? And he said, well, we believe that's ended now and we... You know, that was for setting up the church, etc., etc. And I said, but I can't believe that. What about what Paul says in Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit? What about these gifts? And I think you probably heard me say, he gave me a rather unwise answer at that time. He said, I said, why can't we do this in our services? Why can't we have services like they seem to have? Why do we have a hymn sandwich and then we all go home after a preach? I said, your preaching's good. I hope I said that anyway. I can't actually remember that bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's more what I hope than what I said, I think. But um, the rest... If that's all there is, it's boring. I got to that stage after 10 years um, of being a Christian when I prayed to God and I said, if this is all you've got, I'm fed up with it. 
And it wasn't saying to God, um, as those bold words say, I've had enough of you. It was saying, Lord, there's got to be more. Have you ever experienced in your heart that cry, there's got to be more than this? It's spirit bread. It's spirit bread because the truth is, God loves to work through us in miraculous signs and uh, demonstrations of power. We see it less because we believe it less. And I stand with you on that. My faith is not as great as it should be, but I intend to push the boundaries on that. God confirmed the message of Jesus Christ by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit wherever he chose. The gifts are there for us to have. The gifts are there to demonstrate the power of God manifested through his son, Jesus. The title of this talk, by the way, which I should have said at the beginning, is Jesus the Man. Or as a question, why did Jesus have to be born as a man? Going back to the original people who heard this, this um, message, this letter that was written, they, it, uh, the, the writer has just destroyed their worship of angels. He's now saying, he's addressing another problem, where they're saying, but Jesus was just a man, wasn't he? Why did he have to be a man? If he's God as well, why didn't he come as God? Because that would have surely have been more powerful. How many times when talking to your friends have you said, God, if you would only bowl them over, if only you would come and speak to them as God, in effect, they would be saved. That's what they thought. I put to you that that's what they thought. So the writer of the Hebrews is saying, ah, but he had to come as a man. Moving on. Furthermore, it's not angels who control the further um, the future world we are talking about. But in in one place in Scripture, it says he will move to something completely different. What are mere mortals that you should think about them, or the Son of Man that you should care for him? Yet you made them only a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. This is a reference back to Psalms. Um, And it makes interesting reading. It's Psalm 8, the latter part of Psalm 8, which is a psalm of David. And uh, I always thought, because I read this in the NIV, that it was talking about Jesus and Jesus only, this reference, because it says, the Son of Man made him... Whereas this translation, which I'm reading from, which is the New Living Translation, puts it slightly differently and says them and him. This indicates that we have a destiny far beyond what we have grasped in general. Have a think about it. Here's the um, the, uh, the, the passage in Psalm 8 in my Bible, which is the New Living Translation. What are mere mortals that you should think about them, humans, human beings, that you should care for them. You made them only a little lower than God. I'd never seen that before. But it's a bona fide translation from the original. And crowned them with glory and honor. 
You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and herds and all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and everything that swims in the ocean currents. Yeah, you say, but that doesn't match up to my experience. I'm certainly not in mastery over the wild animals. Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> we had some sheep in our, in our backfield. Yesterday we had some sheep in the backfield and some sheep in the neighbour's garden. And uh, this is my past history. I used to be a shepherd, so I know about sheep. I wouldn't say I know all about sheep, but I know quite a lot about sheep. So we had to get these sheep out of that garden, down the road and into the field. Now, um, uh, in past times when we tried this, uh, this is Fergus' time for embarrassment, he was asked to help. Now, Fergus has never driven sheep in his life. So um, I said to him after, I said, well, it's a bit like playing snooker. You know, if you hit the ball that way and it hits the other ball that way, it's going to go that way. So you have to position yourself between the sheep and where you want them to go. But that, of course, is not enough. And he said he was so embarrassed by the mess he made of driving these sheep that next time they got out... He hid. <laughs> he did not have control over the domestic animals, let alone the wild ones. <laughs> and that's the truth of where we are. And yet if you think back to what the Bible says at the beginning, it says that God put Adam over in control over everything. So there's a reflection back, isn't there? We were built and destined to have mastery over everything in the earth, to take care of it under God, to work out his purposes in it. We don't do it, as the writer to the Hebrews um, makes clear um, in this um, passage here. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out, but we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus who was given a position a little lower than the angels. He was born as a man. And because he suffered death for us, he's now crowned with glory and honour. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Pointing out that Jesus had to be a human being. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into salvation. This is a demonstration of why Jesus had to die. You see, as God, he couldn't die. Is that clear? If you're immortal, QED, you cannot die. Immortal death is oxymoronic, isn't it? So he had to come as a man to die. Why did he have to die? Give us a response. Sorry, one, one person shout out, please. Shout out loud. Sorry? Take our place. He had to die because we deserve to die. God had a, a, um, decreed because God is, is, is just, God is holy, completely um, without sin, when we sin, we are separated. There's a barrier. The barrier had to be removed. The penalty had to be paid. Somebody had to die. It was either us with eternal separation from God, which is death, or someone else. The only person, this is quite logic, as well as being a spiritual rule, that can do that is God himself. 
that he sends his son to be born as a man, to become fully human, to die in our place. This is a central part of our existence that we should never, ever belittle. Jesus died so that we could live. If you've not yet experienced that or the edge of experience, that, say, I know a little bit about Christianity. I like, I like the people here. Well, most of them. And uh, the others I just don't talk to. But I'm, I'm quite happy to come socially to this place. And uh, I like uh, the family atmosphere. I like the cakes. I like the coffee at the beginning. I like the singing. I love the singing. You need to know that the reason we are family is because Jesus died for us. Absolutely. Hallelujah. When Jesus was praying in the hours before going to the cross, he prays to God, and it's recorded for us to see in, the, in John 17. And he talks a lot about those you have given me. And it's clear that the reference is to the disciples, the wider body of disciples, both then and we now understand in the future. Jesus understood that he was given people to bring into glory. His family, many sons. You have to excuse me from dotting from part to part. I'm reading through this chapter because I think it's the only way to, to explain is to read through and go through it verse by verse. But I have other references. You can see there's great litter of autumn leaves in my Bible which um, relate to it. I won't be able to cover them all, but I want to cover some of them. Um, if you want to flick through to and fro in your Bible, then um, you can do so. And uh, I will attempt to give out the references as I have them down. In terms of mankind having authority, the reference we've already done, which is Psalms 8, verses 4 to 6, if you want to put them in your notes. Um, moving through verses 5 to 8, which is the ones we're now on. If you'd like to turn to Romans 5, that is something to keep your finger in, Romans 5, um, which says this, Romans verse 5, verse 2, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place, of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. This is, this is important because the, the general understanding or the general view is that Paul probably did not write Hebrews. Paul certainly wrote Romans and there is a, a confluence of, of uh, understanding and ideas. The same thing occurs in Paul's teachings as it does in the teaching of the person who wrote um, Hebrews. It's the identical message. It helps to know that what the writer to the Hebrews said is not in isolation. He's taking his references throughout the Bible, including both New and Old Testament. In uh, um, 1 Corinthians verse 15, uh, sorry, chapter 15, verse 27, it says about God um, being given authority over all things. Like as a forerunner, if you could put it like that. A forerunner, someone who goes first. Um, it's a promise to us. Jesus has, has stepped into that authority. He is now sitting at the Father's right hand with that authority over all things. He has it now. We look to the day when we will have it. 
not in this life, but we look to when our life goes on beyond the grave, through death, and we will share in that authority because Jesus has it. And we are, when we are baptized, we are baptized into his name. If you remember that from your baptism, you are baptized into the name of Jesus. We share in his inheritance. When it says about um, um, children, for instance, in verse 11, so now Jesus and the ones he made holy have the same father. It says in Hebrews, as we move through that chapter, we have the same father. And I talked a little bit about the adoption some a couple of months ago. And it's something that I, I, I expect throughout my whole life to explore the meaning of. God, through his son's death, has made us himself our father. He has chosen us. He chose you as his son. Alison, he chose you as his daughter. Precious in his sight. And we could point to anybody who knows Jesus as their saviour. Jen, he was with you through your sickness. Grieved with you through your pain. And yet knew about your restoration. And was pleased. He wraps you in his arms. He cares for you, even though at times we go through troubles, as indeed do our own children. And the expiration of that fatherhood is something to thrill us always. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them, in fact we can put us in there as well, his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. Now this is a reference from Isaiah 8. Now Isaiah lived 600 years before. Something like that, isn't it? Between four and 600 years before the birth of Christ. And uh, Isaiah was a prophet. Many things that happened in Isaiah's life um, had, as Ben said two weeks ago, they had um, uh, 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 a main theme and a sub-theme. The sub-theme here was that God had said to Isaiah, um, his, his wife had just given birth to a son, he said, I want you to call your son um, something like, uh, they, they, they plunder rapidly or something. Some strange name, you can find that at, at the beginning of um, Isaiah. Just look at it. Isaiah 8, um, I think it's actually Isaiah 7 where that is. And so Isaiah names his son, um, uh, they, will, they will come quickly, swiftly and, and plunder, or something like that. The translation is not clear, and my translation is less clear. And so Isaiah then says in chapter 8, he says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because he's relating that to his child. Saying, the child that I've given me is a sign. And yet what God had in mind is for us to understand that Jesus. this was a pre-declaration um, uh, of what Jesus would say. And the Hebrews rightly and aptly takes that as a prophetic statement by Isaiah as Jesus saying, I'll put my trust in him, I'll put my trust in God, which he did throughout his life. I 
and the children God has given me, so relating it back to the people that he brings into salvation. I find that fascinating. It's a point probably you think, yeah, why is he saying that? I find it fascinating because God works things throughout. What we have to realize within, within the Old and New Testament is there's nothing unimportant in there. And there's nothing that doesn't point eventually in some way to Jesus. Jesus is not ever the something. Not ever. Right from Genesis, right through the inspired word of God. And the older I get, the more I become convinced it is the inspired word of God. And I have doubts. Those doubts get, they fall away like the autumn leaves as I research it more. And I find each thing somehow points to Jesus. And it's like a jigsaw puzzle sometimes. And, and you discover another piece and you think, oh, I didn't realize that was in there. What did it say before? That's about Jesus. Oh, that I'll check that out. Yeah, that is too. This isn't, as Ben said two weeks ago, and as Neil said the, the, um, the time before, this isn't some mistake that God made and had to rectify. Jesus isn't, isn't the um, answer to a problem. It's a problem of sin for us. But it's not, not a problem for God. Somehow, God always knew that we would sin. Somehow, he always decided to come and be the means of our salvation. It wasn't a surprise. We have confidence in this. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, we can have confidence in the fact that Jesus had to come as a man, had to die for us. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die. Only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. How do you feel about death? Just give me a raise of a hand. Do you fear death? Be honest. Yeah, there's some honest hands going up there. There's some honest hands going up there. That's rational. That's human. That's normal. Have you ever feared death? Some hands, please. Let me ask that again. Have you ever feared death? I tentatively say that those of you who have never feared death are brain dead. <laughs> Let me be stronger. Those of you who have never feared death are darn stupid. Really? You've never woken up to the fact in any point of your life that death is to be feared. Perhaps you think you will not die. Perhaps you do. They say, don't they, that there are two things sure in life, and that's death and taxes. Taxes are a pain, and we deal with it throughout life. Death comes to us all at one point only. <laughs> you should fear death until such time as you've answered that. When you've known a fear of death and you've sought a remedy and you've found that the remedy is the God-man who died and defeated the power of death, then you can be free from it and you can have no fear of death anymore. 
I mostly have that no fear of death anymore. Sometimes in the dark hours of the night, I find it comes upon me as an attack. That's normal too. And I can say, away from me, Satan. I will have no part of you. I am a son of the living God. I am saved by grace. I am saved by the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, who is both man and God. And then the writer of the Hebrews makes this cap at the end. He says, we also know that the Son did not come to help angels. Oh. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Oh, that's us. The descendants of Abraham means more just than all humankind. It means those who are saved. So that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest before God then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people once and for all. That's my words, once and for all. Now, we, just, we look a little more fully at that, um, that um, high priestly um, attribute of Jesus later on in verse 5. I think you've got that one, haven't you? Right of the Melchizedek? Jesus and Melchizedek? But we look at that more fully later on in Hebrews. You can wait with eager anticipation. But in this um, chapter, I, um, because I cheated and looked at a, at a, um, a commentary, I, but I also come up with these things that come out of there. One, Jesus is a sacrifice. You can find that part in Romans 8, verse 3. Um, two, Jesus is conqueror. He's conquered death. And that you can find a reference to, again, in 1 Corinthians, um, verse 15. Uh, chapter 15, sorry, verse 54 to 57. Am I doing for time? No time. And also, I find that Jesus is leader or captain. The older translations use the word captain. And the newer translations may just refer to him as being leader. A perfect leader, it says in um, verse 10. Jesus is our perfect leader. And I want you to think about those things. One, Jesus is the sacrifice, a right and proper, once and for all, sacrifice for our sins. Two, Jesus has conquered death, and therefore we need to have no fear of death. We can enter into the Father's presence. We can enter into God's presence with confidence. We don't have to abase ourselves. Um, I noticed because she's shy that... um, Valerie had her eyes down, you know, and I understand that, you know, you stand there giving a word, you have your eyes down. And um, I use it only as an illustration. When we come into the Father, we don't have to have our eyes down. When we come into God's presence, we don't have to have our eyes down, do we? We, feel, we need fear, no guilt. Though we may have displeased him that morning, we can ask for forgiveness, determined not to do the thing again. And then we can come into his presence. When I say determined not to do the thing again, we are also weak. And Christ helps us. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, to help us in our weakness overcome these things. So we walk into the presence of the Father because Jesus is conqueror with confidence and say, Father, um, does anybody remember that um, epic? Um, This is off the top of my head. And it was about... Um, a, a village then becoming a town and a city in America from the pioneer days. Centennial. Mitchum. Centennial. Do anybody remember the, um, the TV series on that? As I say, I am very, very old. And there was one part in that where the pioneers are, are going out to this particular place and a pioneer goes out there and he's from a religious background 
And uh, he starts to pray. He gets there and he starts to pray and he prays, Oh, Lord, thank you for... And he says, Father, thank you for bringing me into this land. And that was such a a demonstration to me of um, what God has done for us. He brought me from a place where I experienced religious observance and found no freedom in it to a place where I relied upon his son. And I could say, Father, thank you for saving me. Let's end there with a prayer. Let's, let's end by praying jointly. Will you pray with me? Um, if you want to um, pray under your breath, you know, softly, then do so while I'm praying. Father, um, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that you've demonstrated through this passage, albeit um, I've feebly explained it, but you've demonstrated why Jesus had to be born as a man. Your son, um, uh, you know, a, a part, fully God, had to be, came, to be born as a, a man so that he could die, so that he could pay uh, a, a penalty of sin, so that he could bring us, by his leadership, into a, f- a family of God. Thank you that we're in the family of God. Thank you, Lord, that this family, although desperately imperfect, is the best family I have ever known. The church of God, with all its flaws. This church, this church in Billingshurst here, is the best that we can expect in Billingshurst. That might shock some of you, but if you look at it properly, that's true. It's the best that we can expect, and I think it's great, Father. I like what you do with your church. I ask, Father, that you would send the Spirit again to refresh and and fill us again. Uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and live inside us to bring life to the words that I've said to each and every one of us and help us to experience the leadership of Jesus throughout our lives. Amen.